worked so far, but we're not out yet. I wanna know what you're thinking. There are some things you can't hide. I wanna know what you're feeling. Tell me what's on your mind. Hailing Frequencies Open, and welcome to Enterprising Individuals, the Star Trek discussion podcast that boldly goes into excruciating detail about the series, characters, and stories of the Star Trek universe. I'm your host, Aaron Coker, a.k.a. Caliban, and yeah, Cardassian Neck Trick is okay. I like their original lineup, but Ferengi Earwaggle is way better. You probably haven't heard of them. <laughs> I'm joined on this episode by Heel Mary and Gooey Fame. They have a podcast called Existence is Futile, where they're on a journey to watch and discuss every episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Heel Mary and Gooey Fame, welcome to the show. Hello, thank Hi. you. Good to have you here. Permission to come aboard granted. Today we'll be talking about Necessary Evil, the eighth episode of the second season of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. As a military and exploratory organization, Starfleet serves as the gateway to many of the stories in the Star Trek universe. And we, the viewers, see strange new worlds and new civilizations through the nominally earthen eyes of the Federation. But storytelling in the Trek franchise isn't just limited to I-Sirs and Make-It-Sos and Scan for Life Forms. And programs like DS9 took pains to show a world that existed before we discovered it and one that had problems of its own. But we'll talk about that a little later in the show. First of all, I always ask new guests on the show about their backstory uh, and how they became Star Trek fans. Mary, how about you? Um, so, full disclosure, this is my first Deep Space Nine episode. Really? Um, I've okay, only right. seen, yeah, I've only seen The Next Generation. Um, I grew up watching it, but by that time it was already in syndication, so just completely out of order. And then I've seen all the movies, and that's been my experience other than rewatching it for the podcast now. Okay. Well, well I definitely want to get your impressions as a first-time uh, DS9 uh, viewer, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Gooey, how did you become a Star Trek fan? Um, kind of similar as a kid. Like, family watched it. My, my dad really liked it, and I just mm -hmm. kind of... I, I, at that time, I would watch it, but I wasn't a big fan. And then I think the 2009 movie came out, went and saw that, liked it. And then what really did it, and I, I think a lot of people that we know are like this, uh, all the shows came on Netflix back yeah. in the day. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, all right, I can get like revisit this thing that I have like a faint memory of. So I, you know, I watched all the series on Netflix and became a big fan, like, this is, I guess this is only like six years ago or something, whenever that happens. So. Sure. It's not everybody just binging friends. Some people are actually yeah. uh, discovering, <laughs> discovering Star Trek. Uh, well, in addition to Existence is Futile, uh, Gooey, you're also one half of the podcasting team behind the Pro Wrestling Required Viewing Podcast. Yes. What is, what's the story behind that? Um, that was just back, back uh, in the day when I started it, like two years ago. Uh, just wanted to have a podcast where I could talk to my friends about wrestling, I guess. And like, <laughs> like, like Star Trek podcasts, there's like a thousand of them. So I was like, <laughs> sure, I might as well do one too. Um, but yeah, it's just, yeah. um, me and my pal Vic watch anything wrestling related and talk about it, but we end up just talking about 
almost anything else. So sure. Even if Gooey didn't have a wrestling podcast, they would mostly be talking about wrestling. <laughs> That's true. Might as yeah. well set a mic up, right? Yeah. <laughs> so you watch uh, at times. You watch a piece of uh, media, like a movie or a TV show or something that is uh, wrestling related. Yeah, it could be anything. So like you know, a lot of times it'll be like a match or an event, but we also watched like. Uh, the Moana because the rock was in it, you know, it's like, yeah, why not? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we actually did a uh, one where instead of Vic and I hosting, Mary came on and we watched the, the episode of Voyager with the rock. Mm-hmm. Oh, Sukatsu. Yeah. yeah. So if you want to, yeah. um, that's the one of the series I'm, I've watched it, but I'm least familiar with. And that was another one. Mary had never seen it. So if you want to hear two people who know nothing about Voyager, oh, talk man. about Voyager, go check it out. <laughs> that be Well, I heard the episode and I think you guys peg it in the episode that like, that's not as far as like being the first episode of Voyager that you see, that is not like what Voyager usually is. It's such a weird episode. It, it seemed yeah. like it. And it's like, yeah, it's not also not one that's like because it's later in the season. So, yeah, yeah, you can't just like be like like this one, the the Deep Space Nine episode we watched. You can sort of piece together what's going on if you've never seen it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you guys did a good job, I think, pegging all the kind of wrestling tropes or just sort of aspects that they had in there. Um, I know that, uh, I, in my opinion, the heel promoter was definitely a Bischoff. I was, I was screaming that oh, at yeah. Sure, yeah. when I was listening to the show. But they, were, they did miss a couple things. Like, And you pointed this out, too. Like, where were the promos? Like, you needed promos if it was really going to be a wrestling thing. And who was Alien Mean Gene? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, a shout-out to Mean Gene. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it, the, I think the biggest disappointment was just that maybe it's because it was the beginning of his acting career, but it was like, where was the rock was barely in it. That's what I was. That's what I wanted <laughs> right. to watch it for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was basically just UPN saying, hey, we got a wrestling show, uh, but it also might have been. I'm pretty sure that the wrestling show had better ratings than Star Trek. So it might have been also a hey, wrestling fans, check out Star Trek, but it's not going to be like this every week. Yeah. Right, like literally never again. <laughs> never, never now, again. Now that we've like got this. you, I think we talk about that too. Like, show. who is this for? Like, who is yeah. this crossover for? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the general perception of it as well. Most Star Trek fans are like, "What? What is this for?" And most wrestling fans don't really even know about it. <laughs> We're the weird cross section that happens to like both. It's for it's for us. <laughs> Have you done the Tooth Fairy yet? The Tooth Fairy? No, that's no. oh. I love, uh, I actually, I love like any movie with The Rock in it. So yeah. even even the worst one. And I don't think I've heard good things about that, but I would be excited yeah. to watch it. So, <laughs> Well, I'll be listening for that. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, you guys are both musicians and you're both in bands as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you want to tell us about your music? Um, yeah. So I actually play with um, Paul, who does uh, our podcast music. Um, we're in a band together called Bringers. And man, I never know how to describe it. It's kind of like droney, sad pop, I guess. Okay, <laughs> all right. It's, uh, it's like, creepy, um... so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gooey <laughs> came to a show once and got scared during our set, which felt like a great accomplishment. <laughs> uh, and you have some really interesting uh, instrumentation in the band too. Did I see you playing uh, melodica? I no longer play the melodica. Um, so that was actually another project that oh, okay. uh, Paul and I had done. It was more of like a folk punk, but we were just talking about bringing the melodica back into bringers. But sure. like dark melodica. Yeah, right? yeah. Okay. So like, yeah. <laughs> 
the previous project actually uh, does the theme for pro wrestling required viewing too. So there's oh, yeah, a lot of crossover true. going on here. <laughs> okay, cool. But yeah, now we do. Um, we it's like keyboard synth. Um, we've got like a looping pedal, some samples, uh, a lot of electronic stuff going on. Fog machine. Yes, newly added fog, fog machine. machine. <laughs> uh, well, you gotta have that. Of course. <laughs> Your last show, I saw the there was also like some the the venue had like some branches or like vines hanging down and there was a fog machine and it looked like a set oh, of a yeah. star trek episode oh, okay and, nice. and, and because paul does the theme to our show i was just like yeah i feel like i'm in our podcast right now that's that's like the vibe <laughs> we're going for i love it yeah we needed some boulders Bold. Oh, the boulders right. are so crucial. Yeah, right. Some fake-looking boulders. Yeah, and an orange backdrop for the sky. <laughs> That's awesome. Gooey, what about you? Um, I play bass in a lot of. I've played in various like uh, emo pop punk bands, like Midwest emo bands, I guess. So sure. I've, I've been kind of a hired gun in a lot of bands. Like I've I've come into a lot of bands after they've started and like just become the like a member so i'm always yeah i'm always that like weird fourth member that's like there's that band and then oh yeah and the gooey's there too now (laughs) (laughs) i have had that experience that's true uh so you're the ringer they bring you in i'm the ringer yeah so currently i play in this band called annabelle uh which has been a band for a long time uh and even before joining i'm trying to speak objectively but they're pretty awesome uh they're from ohio um, most of us live in Chicago now, okay. <laughs> um, so it makes for some fun commutes. And then I played in some other bands like uh, Empire Empire, I Was a Lonely Estate. I played in this band called Dowsing. Um, yeah, a bunch of bunch of bands like that. A bunch of sad little Midwest bands. Why did you decide to start a podcast where you watch and st- uh, discuss Star Trek: The Next Generation? Well, we were at a, a Bringer show actually um last january and we were just talking about star trek and i think it was paul who was like you guys should do a podcast because that's <laughs> that's what you do now so right. it was really that simple it was like i think weren't you like i've been meaning to rewatch it or something yeah i had always wanted to rewatch it just because i've never watched the episodes in order and so that seemed like a good reason to do it and i tng is one i know better and it, it's it was just like, yeah, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. So, <laughs> And we had, I had been on Gooey's wrestling podcast a few times, um, but wasn't watching wrestling so much. So I think it was just like getting back into like podcasting and doing something yeah. together just seemed like a fun project to work on. Well, you're pretty early in the series. Um and good luck to you guys. I mean, you'll get there eventually. But well, we're going those... every other week too, so it's going to take like actually seven years, or you know. Yeah, some of those uh, early episodes can be kind of rough. Um, oh yeah. Are there oh any, yeah. Any, are there any in- insights that you guys have made about the show so far? Besides, oh boy, I hope we uh, get to the good ones soon. We were in that for a while, but I think now, like, it's been a while since we've been really. We're, we're getting to the episode. end of season one and it's starting to get better. Sure. Yeah. And I think as a general rule, season three of any show tends to be like where it gets really good. Oh, yeah, sure. So we're, we're like we're like kind of uh, we're keeping track of like the best episodes uh, for the future. And then maybe we'll just forget about some of the other episodes. From <laughs> <Yes>. season one. <laughs> we're learning yeah. that some of them uh, are forgettable. 
Uh, what do you guys think about the news that there's going to be a Jean-Luc Picard series set 20 years after TNG? I think it's cool. I, I don't know what you think. Who's going to be mad at that? Yeah. I feel like I tr- I feel like I trust it to be good. So, yeah, Discovery, uh, the new show has been pretty good so far. So the team behind that, uh, hopefully, yeah, I think they could probably deliver a pretty good show about Picard. And what I want to see in a Picard show is like everything that we've seen, except for the later movies, has been you know a prequel or in the past or just like a side story. So I'd kind of like to see where the future of the future is going, like what the Federation is like after all those things that happened on TNG. Yeah, you're mm-hmm. absolutely right. Yeah, I've always, like, that's actually why I really, I personally really liked Deep Space Nine because TNG was, like, a show that I had more of an anchor for before I, like, binged all these shows on Netflix. And so yeah. I, I loved Deep Space Nine and, and Voyager 2 because it was, like, oh, this is, like, the continuation of, like, that story. Yeah, right, yeah. Yeah. Why'd you guys choose this specific episode, Necessary Evil, to discuss today? Well, so we had watched um, The Big Goodbye. Okay, yeah. And uh, I took issue with the fact that it's this, you know, like film noir episode, like detective vibes, but they don't actually investigate anything. There's no mystery, yeah. Yeah, so I was kind of asking Gooey, like, oh, are there any episodes where they actually do, like, an investigation? And so Gooey thought of this. Or did you research it? Or um, th- This one I, I looked up, but it... Like, when you asked me that question initially, it just made me think of how I feel like Deep Space Nine delivered on some promises of, like, this episode even more. Like, both in, like, having cool holodeck adventures, which TNG does too, mm-hmm. but <laughs> right. but I feel like Deep Space Nine really took it some fun places. And then also, like I said, I, I remembered a lot of episodes of, like, uh, some serious investigations and stuff like that. Because they had a character who was, like specifically a cop you know so right. it was like yeah they they really went for it with that yeah we we're just we wanted to see some space cops yeah space cops sure some yeah. noiry stuff so I was some like, hard-boiled space stuff yeah so I, yeah i was like trying to rem- you know i remembered sort of s- some episodes and then i i looked up a couple and i was like oh yeah this seems like a good a good option there's often a mystery in, like a scientific mystery in Trek episodes, you know, where they're trying to figure out like what a problem is or how to solve it. But mm-hmm. yeah, they don't often go into the sort of crime mystery that we get in this episode. And that's the cool thing about Odo as a character. I mean, there's a lot of cool aspects to him, but they definitely, I think, placed him there as every once in a while we could, you know, we could do a mystery. We could do like a crime type show. And he's always uh, trying to chase down bad guys or, or he's always trying to bust Quark, too. <laughs> yeah, they they have like a. I know later on, I remember they almost have like a a buddy cop vibe. Not that Quark's a cop, but you know, where like they have a begrudging friendship almost. Right. Yeah, I always love that dynamic. Yeah, it plays out really well over the series. Well, let's talk about this episode. It's necessary evil. Like I said, the eighth episode of the second season of DS9 first aired on November 14th of 1993. It was written by Peter Allen Fields, who we've talked about several times previously on this show. He was a producer on DS9 for its first two seasons, and he wrote many episodes of TNG and DS9, like The Inner Light, Duet, and In the Pale Moonlight. It was directed by James, James L. Conway, another name that we've talked about several times on this show. Conway directed 18 episodes combined of the f- four post-TOS pre-discovery shows, including Duet, uh, The Way of the Warrior, and the pilot of Enterprise, Broken Bow. 
The start date for this episode is 47282.5, and the past sequences are set during the Cardassian occupation of Bajor, which would be 2365 by the show's reckoning. In your assignment, Mary and Gooey, you can split this up however you want, uh, is to give us a 25-word synopsis of Necessary Evil. Oh my gosh. Should we we'll do one word? No. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Alternate. Um, let's see. I'm like, it was a it was a dark and stormy night. You have to do it like a, like a hard boiled <laughs> detective novel. There was a lot of like kind of cheesy uh, Odo narration. Yeah, like yeah. one that really sticks out to me is like, "Is this appropriate for a Star Fleet log?" I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> okay, so, so he he was setting the mood along with uh, Vatric Palra. Yes, right. So she enters and she's like. Uh, Sending Quark on a mission right. to retrieve this list. Gooey. Um, li- <laughs> list, list contains uh, Bajoran uh, collaborators, Cardassian collaborators that are Bajoran. Uh, I don't know. Odo's uh, trying to figure out if Kira did it or not. It did a murder. We're not. going back and forth in time. Yeah, it's which hard was to do this in quite, co- words. which was quite confusing <laughs> upon first viewing. Oh sure, you did. I was get like, a- there are many plots and characters, and then I started to put it all together. We're going back and forth in time. Yeah, I suppose having watched a previous episode would help. With I think that. we're already over twenty-five words. Yeah, we okay. blew it. Yeah, sorry, sorry for the poor description. <laughs> Hijinks ensue. Yeah, yeah. I always uh, give first-timers the tip. You know, you got to drop articles and modifiers. You know, just talk mm. like a robot. And oh, just there. words. <laughs> you made a good point that this is a kind of a weird, maybe tough episode for a first viewer, but it also gives you a lot of background because you're actually seeing. This whole thing that hangs over DS9, of course, is the occupation of Bajor by the Cardassians. And so you've got this sort of post-World War II, you know, lawless zone like you did in, uh, in, in Europe in the late 40s and early 50s, where all these, th- a guy like Quark, you know, can thrive. He can get things done. He can do things, you know, uh, under the, uh, or above the, above the law. And so by watching this episode, you know, you get a story in the present, but we also get to look back and see, okay, all right, so this guy, Gul Dukat, he was in charge. And Odo wasn't always the cop, you know, he, he was put in that position to, to investigate. So, yeah, I mean, if you can get through it, it, it tells you a lot about DS9. Yeah, I think it does a good job of, like, kind of contextualizing the characters. Who, like, even Kira, you see she's a little different than before. Yeah. Um, yeah, you just get a kind of a different take on all the characters that that we would know i guess for you i guess that's weird to have that be your first time but well here's some interesting facts from the memory banks about this episode like fields and conway's previous collaboration the first season episode duet which is a great one you should watch that one too uh this episode was a favorite for many cast and crew members odo actor renee aubergenois called it one of the best episodes the show had ever done Kira actress Nana Visitor appreciated the ambiguity that the episode introduced into the Odo-Kira relationship. Writer and producer Ira Stephen Bear complimented Conway on his direction in the episode. Producer and director David Livingston also praised Conway, as well as director of photography Marvin Rush, who provided the dark, noirish look of the episode. Mm. And one of the things that I really like about it, which is a little on the nose, but I'll take it, is that they it opens literally like in the dark with candles, 
And then as we get to the station, they're literally like turning all the lights off, you know, as he's doing his uh, his narration. So it's like, oh, all right, pay yeah. attention, everybody. This is <laughs> this is going to be a literally a noir episode. Like we're we're going dark on this one. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, it's a little like cheesy, I guess. But I like that it's like the total like tone setter. You know, like it it, yeah. it, it works. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I liked it. We open on uh, you know Quark talking to a woman who looks kind of like Lana Turner, and she's like, you know all slinky in a dress and that sort of thing and it's kind of you know for me watching it for the first time in the second season it was like what what are we doing what is this <laughs> it's, a, it's a little bit of a departure but uh, it's fun uh series co-creator michael pillar also praised the episode and the performance of Catherine moffett as palra but he regretted producer rick berman's decision to cut a scene that would have established that gul Dukat was actually having an affair with palra in the present timeline and I think oh. they did that to sort of, yeah, to set it up as like an extra red herring. So Odo would sort of find out about this and be like, oh, maybe Ducat's the guy behind the whole thing. And Ducat, mm-hmm. uh, Ducat actor Mark Alimo also wanted that scene to stay in. And as you uh, talked before, you mentioned before about the log, this is the only episode of the series in which we hear Odo keeping the log, uh, which, of course, he professes a disdain for. Though, of course, for the purpose of the episode, as Mary pointed out, it provides the hard-boiled narration that's customary to this kind of detective fiction. We see a photo of the victim, Cesario Sito, uh, on a pad in this episode. It's actually a photo of special effects designer and producer Dan Curry. Curry began his run as VFX supervisor on the second half of the first season of TNG, and he would hold that role for each of the post-TOS series until the end of Enterprise. And thanks to the flashback storyline in this episode, we get a few firsts for the series. This is the first time that Odo meets Kira uh, and Quark. It's the first time that he speaks to Dukat, although he met him before, or at least they were in the same room before, as Dukat mentions. And it's the first time that Kira meets Quark. It's presumably the first time that Dukat meets Kira, not counting her time travel orb trip in the later episode, Wrongs Darker Than Death or Night. But in S.D. Perry and Britta Dennison's DS9 novel, Dawn of the Eagles, it's actually revealed that Ducat was aware that Kira was the daughter of Kira Maru, his former lover, and he had had Odo's investigation interfered with behind the scenes to prevent Kira from being charged with the murder of Vatrik. Whoa. Oh. There's some deep lore going on. A little, yeah. beta, little beta cannon stuff going on there, yeah. Okay. And this is chronologically the first time that Odo is referred to as Constable by Kira in this episode. I, I like that title. I love that title, too. Yeah. I don't know if it makes any sense, but I, I really do. <laughs> it's, a great, it's a great title. It really sets him up in that role. Well, yeah. let's, uh, let's talk about the guest stars for this episode. Uh, Mark Alimo, of course, appears as Goldcott in this episode in the scene set during the Cardassian occupation. Max Gradanchik appears as Rom, brother of Quark. Catherine Moffat appears as Vatrick Palra. Moffat previously appeared on TNG as Itana Joel in the episode The Game, which is coming up in the future for you guys. Mm. Moffat made many TV guest appearances from the late 70s until she retired from acting in 1998, and she was the voice of the Scarlet Witch in the 90s Iron Man animated series. And Robert McKenzie appears as Trasco, Palra's assassin. McKenzie made several TV appearances in the 80s and uh, early 90s, including a role in the miniseries V, L.A. Law, and in Quantum Leap. There has to be. I don't know if you guys are Quantum Leap fans, uh, but there's got to be a Quantum Leap podcast out there somewhere. Oh, Oh, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just the titles alone. Like, you could have a really great podcast based on that. Yeah. Every episode, you have to leap into you know the new talking the, the the new podcast about whatever episode you're talking about. <laughs> I, I've definitely actually I've I've heard um, 
there used to be this podcast called It's That Episode, and it was uh, partially, actually, an inspiration for the format of Pro Wrestling Required Viewing, where really? it, it was like, oh, have someone on, and they pick a random TV episode to watch. <laughs> Just and, any TV episode. Yeah, and they watch it. One time, they actually watched an episode of uh, Monday Night Raw, but uh, I think they had a guy on multiple times, and they watched some, they watched some weird Quantum Leap episodes, so... Okay. Yeah. Is that a show that's, is it still on? I think it's ended years ago. I think they, every once in a while, do like one-off episodes or it's one guy, but uh, it's, it was a really funny episode or show back in the day. So got me into (laughs) listening to podcasts actually. So highly recommend. Yeah. Man, that's such a good premise. I want to steal that so bad. (laughs) I think it's, you can maybe have it. Yeah. It might be available. (laughs) Okay. All right. I got to get my people to check up on that. (laughs) I'd want to, but I'd pick something like the McNeil era news hour or something like that. Just something to, or like C-SPAN. Let's watch an hour of C-SPAN and oh just <laughs> see what's going on in Washington. Uh, well, let's talk about the episode itself. Uh, one of the things that I really like about DS9 is one of the things that makes it unique in Trek TV. You know, the idea that it's set on a nominally non-Starfleet station. And the focus for the entire series is at least partially on the history between the Cardassians and the Bajorans. And it's a neat idea when you've got a galaxy-class starship and your mission is to explore, I mean, you don't hang around long after you've saved a planet or told Grappler Zorn he's a dick. You know, you're off to the next system. (laughs) (laughs) And the question I think that the makers of DS9 wanted to ask was, you know, what if we don't leave? What if we hung around and we saw how a complicated situation worked itself out? And, you know, what role, if any, the Federation can have in that? And that makes it so different from something like TNG, uh, you know, which which you guys are going through right now. Um, do you do you think that does that appeal to you? Like the idea of a show where we're not going to fly away, we're going to hang around and see these people week in, week out. Yeah, well, and it seems like it gives them the opportunity to have. I mean, they can still have other characters and species like coming in and out. Yeah. So it's not it's not so different in the sense that even though they're on the ship and they're traveling around, we mostly see them on the ship. Yeah. 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 So it's not actually that different, but it sets it up in a way that they can have some like different storylines than we would normally see. They come to us instead of, you know, we go to them. Oh, right. totally. especially because it's in like such a volatile spot in, in the in the galaxy, yeah. you know. So like there's right. a, like with oper- a long history. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, like on paper, I think if you told me like the like a 10 word like summary of what the series is i'd be like oh that i don't know about that i like the you know the exploration of star trek and stuff but i I've, yeah it's actually like one of my favorite series in, of all the star trek series so yeah you get weirdly inve- i mean it's not weird i guess because it's really well done <laughs> but you get really invested uh in seeing those people again and again and something else that i just noticed was that tng has a million of those episodes where oh the holodeck's broke and we're stuck inside, <laughs> right. you know, or like somebody wants to get out of it. And they do a couple of those in DS9. But I think just the idea that having a holodeck because you can't interact with other people uh, mm-hmm. is, you know, why it's on TNG. And on DS9, the holodecks or the hollow suites are just for baseball and sex, basically, <laughs> because there's just <laughs> sure. because there are actual other people and races and things that you have to deal with that are that are coming in and out. I also was thinking um, like. In TNG, you have a lot of fun side characters. Uh, that, uh, none that we've gotten to really, but you know, you have like Barkley and um, mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. some of that. But like most of them, you know, they crop up once in a while, and you get a fun little episode about them. 
but like in Deep Space Nine, I think because it is so, you can focus on these granular things. Like they have so many like side characters who have like deep storylines to them. You know? Yeah, yeah. I love Guinan, but like they took Guinan and turned her into Quark, and he became like one of the pillars of the show, and like spun off like the whole Ferengi thing. Right. Speaking of side characters, uh, the Cardassians and the Bajorans obviously got their start on TNG and they were spun off into DS9. With what you guys know about TNG and what's coming up, are there any other races you think might be interesting enough to get their own show? Oh, well, we we haven't seen many like mainstays yet. We've just seen... Yeah, no, like not a lot of recurring but races. I, I really liked We Watched Home Soil, which I said mm. was a hidden gem. I don't know if if you could really do a whole episode about those little light bulb soil aliens, but yeah, <laughs> maybe <laughs> I, I would like to see the episode where they do return in three centuries to talk to those guys and see what's happening with them. Oh, because they do say like, "We'll see you in the future." See you later. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I always thought that uh, I, I don't uh, love the pilot uh, encounter at Far Point, uh, but I always thought that no. like Far Point could be its own kind of ds9 show like once they figure everything out and like let's say they make a deal with the aliens where it's like well we'll just give you uh, energy but you just keep being like a cool station and then you've got this station on a planet that's in the middle of nowhere that you fire grappler zorn do that first thing and (laughs) then he's uh, not the main character (laughs) (laughs) his son has to has to take over for him and fix all of his problems (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, gra- the Grappler 2, yeah. Uh, and then, you know, it'd be kind of, but I guess that's just DS9. Um, and then hear me out, hear me out. This is a crazy idea, but <laughs> okay. with, with Black Panther having been a huge movie last year, maybe, maybe, with a lot of tinkering, the Lagonians from Code of Honor could have been a thing. Oh, if, actually, we talk, I think we talked about that a little bit, where it's like, y- you see, you see such a difference in like, it, maybe it's who's writing the character, you know? Yeah, yeah right. I think right. it's definitely who's writing the character. Because you could totally make, like, an awesome, like, Afro-futurist TV Absolutely. show that yeah. has, like, like in Black Panther, you had people of color <laughs> designing the wardrobe and the, right. the culture and stuff. But, yeah, I, I don't know if I – I think I would – reboot new culture not like get away from the lagonians though but i, I like the idea of that though for sure if, well, yeah, and I mean, turning you... it into something positive because it's a really bad episode oh yeah so i yeah. could see like yeah. taking that and like maybe they could do something better with it yeah i mean to put black creators in charge you know in the first place but like oh, yeah because as a as a we don't really know a lot about them i guess but we know two things one they have like really high technology like as high as if not higher than the federation and then also they've got this weird crazy like patriarchal society but now that like urena is basically in charge she could drain the swamp on ligon too and then yeah we could we could get into that cool afro futurism that you're pointing out so is this much like kind of how like uh the battle of wolf is like the beginning point of deep space nine where it's like this sets things into motion for the main character of the show that's the launching point yeah is yeah so code of honor is the launching point (laughs) oh man you take it from the worst thing to to this show (laughs) yeah i gotta cut this out this is a great idea i'm gonna pitch this (laughs) yeah nobody will ever hear this i won't tell i won't tell anybody (laughs) yeah don't tell anybody (laughs) 
Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, even on TNG, Picard and company aren't always exploring. Uh, sometimes they're just hanging out, using the holodeck. And a lot of them are musicians, too, I guess. I mean, Data plays the violin. Picard plays the flute. Riker plays the trombone. Maybe they let Crusher join in on the vibra-slap. I don't know. Um, <laughs> his his trombone, which he affectionately calls his bone. His bone. Jeez, oh, I know. <laughs> so cool. Uh <laughs> Uh, and Picard likes to putting together. Yeah, put a band together. Uh, Picard likes to LARP as Dixon Hill. Uh, and as you pointed out, like that's probably as close to something like film noir as TNG usually gets. Like I was trying. I know you guys are early on in the show still, but I was trying to cast forward into later seasons and think if they ever did like a real hard boiled kind of thing. And I couldn't think of one. They do do a mystery episode, um, I think in season three, called um, A Matter of Perspective, where Riker is like accused of like killing uh, this. Uh, he's having an affair supposedly with a woman and he kills her husband. Okay. And then it's kind of a Rashomon thing. Like they use the holodeck to like recreate everybody's testimonies of what happened. And they're trying to figure out this mystery. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I think they'd probably made a, I think they were making a conscious effort to sort of stay away from traditional storytelling. TNG was? Yeah, at least I, yeah. when it comes to that. I mean, unless there's something that, that's totally slipping my mind that people are screaming at their iPods, I, I can't really think of anything. Well, there are like, there are a lot of episodes I think we've encountered so far where it, like, we felt like, yeah, this could have been fine as it was but then it all it felt like they had to throw in like a sci-fi element which can be cool but it mm. sometimes it felt like a little tacked on like maybe just let this be about whatever it was about you know that's a great point and the sci-fi elements other than them just being on a space station you know in space are, are really low in this episode like you could have done this you could have changed all the space things to earth things and this could have been just something like set right after World War II or, or something like that yeah. in yeah. Berlin. Yeah, totally. Which I think really makes it work. There's there's more than a few noirish touches just besides the setting and the detective. Um, like we've mentioned, there's the first-person narration. You know, a lot of noirs were set around World War II or, or sort of feature um, the effects of World War II, and the Cardassian occupation stands in for that. And something that else that I thought was funny is that when Odo is questioning Palra, he, he goes to leave, and he comes back and he's like, oh, just one more thing, which is like Columbo's signature move, of course. Oh. Yeah, he would always, you know, he'd always ask a bunch of innocuous questions, and he's like, oh, uh, one more thing. And then he asked, like, this is the question that's going to get you. Oh, that's and, like such a trope now, too. Yeah. Yeah. And Peter Allen Fields had written for Columbo in the 70s, so I think he's kind of doing a little wink, wink, wink there. Oh, totally, mm -hmm. yeah. And there's a scene near the beginning where, after Quark is shot, uh, when Odo is questioning Rom, and he and Sisko, like, immediately slip into, like, this good cop, bad cop routine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah that, I, I love uh, the Rom part of this episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's so great. I mean, he's. this is one of the first episodes where we really see him take off as a character. And Max Grodinchik as Rom, he's one of my favorite characters on the show. He does such great work. Uh, and we learn that Rom is technically proficient, which we didn't really know before. And we start to establish that great comedic back and forth that we'll get throughout the series between him and Quark. Um, and he also works great with Odo. Like in that scene, like Odo's bracing him, you know, and he's he's like, oh, you killed your brother for the bar. You're not as stupid as you look. He's like, no, 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 I am. I'm really stupid. <laughs> uh, you, what were you telling me off of before we recorded about how you felt about the beginning with Ram and Quark? 
Oh, yeah. Well, because so that was my first exposure at all to the series. Scene. And I was like, what am I watching? What's, <laughs> Who are what these is people? this going to be about? And yeah. then yeah. it got much better from there. And <laughs> I was able to appreciate it like once the episode concluded. But I was a little worried uh, that that was going to be the whole episode. Can you imagine <laughs> if the series was centered around that dynamic? Rom. <laughs> I'd be into it. Mary, what's your impressions, just having seen this episode, of the Ferengi? I mean, you've seen them in um, The Last Outpost, I think, but they've changed a lot since TNG. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, they definitely have, like, a lot more depth to them in this series. And, like, I do like the sort of... They're bad, but they're not really bad. They're, like, too goofy to really take them, like, seriously as <laughs> yeah. bad guys. So I like that element. I think that's good to kind of, like, have around... Um, and it seems like that's who they kind of, that's the go-to if there's like something nefarious going on, that's kind of your like intro into it because they're not so bad that they'll be able to really deceive you, but they kind of know what's going on in that world. So I kind of like how they're being used here. Yeah. I, I feel like they get profiled racially in the Star Trek universe Yeah, because it's, you know, they have this whole society, of course, that's based around profit. And getting it however you can, but it's like whenever something goes wrong, Odo's first thing is like, "Wow, it must be one of those Ferengi. Like they're always sneaking around." It's like, "Whoa, dude, easy." There's like a, a good example of how I like how they treat them when in one of the flashbacks, he goes to Quark, and like Quark like hints that there might have been some weird like sexual favor going on. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, "Wait, no." The, like I Quark is bad, but I was I was kind of like, not not Quark. And then he was like, no. I mean, I didn't actually do that. And I'm like, okay, okay. Like, like I think I almost like profiled Quark a little bit there. I was like, he, he's not like, he's not that bad, right? He just likes you know money and stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah. He's like uh, he's like Chris Farley. You know, he's like we got it on. It's like no, no, we didn't. Yeah, yeah. And Odo's like, uh, is that a is that a sex thing? I don't really get what that is. Um, <laughs> that's one problem that we have with Cork. He can be, and he's supposed to be written as somewhat lecherous. And I'm fine. Like I like it when Trek acknowledges that sex is a thing, and I'm fine with the the horny the horny barometer being high. Yes, <laughs> it gets but he's horny. often, yeah, he's often unrepentantly gross. Like he would get me to it out of there pretty fast today. Mm. Yeah. Later on, there's mm-hmm. there's they actually suggest that it's in the contract of his workers that you know they have to be open sexually to the boss. Oh, and and they kind of they kind of play it like nobody really like he doesn't actually do it, and most of the girls are like, "Are you serious?" And he's like, "Well, you know, it's just a contract." But yeah, I don't think that you would get something like that today. No, it, yeah. it, it, I, I take it back. <laughs> it, <laughs> like it would be, it would no, it would, it's like you couldn't have a character like that who's like. And then it's like, but they're also like also lovable, yeah. 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 <laughs> the love lovable uh possible uh rapist. Not not great. Yeah. No. Hard to pull off, uh, even for Trek. Uh having a like a shadowy assassin or a heavy is another noir thing. And of course in this episode, uh we get the guy whose name I've already forgot because Oh yeah. Thinking... Oh, his face also forgot it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's got that slick backed hair, you know, that you'd see uh, on on a thug. 
he must be getting paid pretty good to murder people in broad daylight. But my question is, like, he was working for Palra before she even starts getting money. Like, you know, her lights are turned off. Like, the power companies cut her off at the beginning. So was he just working on spec in the beginning? Or were they, like, a couple? Or was she, like, you know, giving him favors for his help? That's kind of a noirish trope. Yeah, it's really not clear. There's like a little bit of fuzziness in the kind of origin of, I mean, maybe he knows the money is coming. Yeah, maybe she was yeah. like, let's make a deal. I, I, I actually liked his we'll presence it. because it was it was like a red herring, like was mentioned before. Because when I saw him, I was like, oh, that's her husband and he's not dead. You know. Like, oh, OK. I see. Yeah. Oh, I thought he was like he was like making her do whatever because she, she seemed oh, like a little bit conflicted. You. So I thought maybe he was the brains behind the operation. So this threw us all over the place. It was a good yeah, red what, herring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whenever they reach the end of a scene with her, she's always, you know, acting sort of vampy or, or self-satisfied. And then somebody leaves and she's like, <sighs> like she does seem like she's kind of freaked out. So I can see how you you would think that. Did yeah. you guys like guess? Like, you know, the mystery? Did you know who, who really did it by the end? No, not really. No. And I I actually like that it when it came, it wasn't in... It was kind of non-traditional. It wasn't like in a very, like, aha way. It was, like, somber almost. It was like... Odo figured it out and they didn't have to have a big scene where he made like a big stink yeah. of it. It was like, <laughs> or, yeah, there wasn't like a key piece of evidence. He just kind of put it together that that's what had happened. Yeah, that would that would be the drawing room show where they he gathers everybody together, you know, in a hollow suite or something. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of you was the murderer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did not guess it. Did not, I didn't get it. No. No. Yeah, and it's a surprise, too, that it they make it, you know, one of our heroes. Um, there's a lot of. There's a lot of moral grayness and ambiguity, even within our characters in this show that we'll get to later on. But yeah. I don't think anybody could have guessed that it would be one of the people that we're following here. And as far as that goes, <laughs> Kira's like, I know she's got kind of a checkered past, but she knew the entire time like what was going on. Like when the second they found the list, she knew what the list was. Yeah. And so she's basically, mm-hmm. I guess, just lying like the entire show. Yeah. This was, this was something, so what I like about Deep Space Nine is uh, it really makes you think about morality, like all of Star Trek does, but like I watched first watches ep for this podcast two weeks ago, and I've been like thinking about it since, because like you said, Kira was lying, but I, I was also thinking if you are making it an analogous to like post-World War II, like in this reality like i don't know if i would feel bad about lying because it was like you know we were occupied by this force that was putting us in like concentration camps and and stuff so i was almost like no kira stick up for yourself a little bit you know like i wouldn't lie all you want about this like you did what you had to do yeah we all did bad Mm -hmm. stuff in those days Yeah. yeah It's a great misdirect, too, to have Palra be all slinkied up, you know, in the beginning and seem like she's going to be the femme fatale of the episode. But it's really it's really Kira that's the femme fatale here. You know, she's got this innocent act that she plays in the past. And it, it's kind of a gruff version of it. It's like, you know, don't touch me. I'll, I'll break your hand type thing. Yeah. But mm-hmm. then she's playing the, the sort of uh, innocent wife like later on. Uh, and revealing something fake to Odo that she did this bombing, you know, to hide, you know, what she actually did. But yeah, it's um, 
there's a lot of episodes that come later that deal with her past, you know, as a terrorist, basically, you know, with the Shakar cell and all the things that she had to do and how complicated it is morally for her. But this is like a really good example of that. Yeah, it, sh- it showed like um, her spy abilities, essentially, like she can get in there, she can lie and it's something she still has in her, you know? Yeah, she's mm-hmm. good at what she does. Um Back to the assassin real quick. Uh, I like the fact that we've established like in TNG, I think, or some parts of Star Trek, they established that you can't shoot like a gun on a ship without the ship knowing. And so I guess that makes sense uh, why he is just stabbing people. (laughs) Like he uses the old uh, knife in the flowers trick on that guy. uh, (laughs) Classic. (laughs) Yeah, classic, classic (laughs) trick. And, uh, of course, then he uses the old uh, smother a guy with a pillow trick on Quark. Mm-hmm. And then Rom saves the day with the scream bloody murder trick. So <laughs> that was I just thought it was interesting. My favorite was... scene in the whole episode. Actually. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, and the staging is so, is so great, uh, especially, you know, him continuing to scream. And then we get the, the cut to, uh, to Quark smiling when he realizes that he's, you know, had the last laugh. But we're happy that Quark's alive at the end of that scene. But I guess the guy in the purple jumpsuit just bleeds out. Like we never <laughs> see anybody rush to like help him. Like the guy is just stabbed and just oh, had well, to he's take gone. one for the team. I guess. Yep, he's just <laughs> that's a, what you got to do. He's a total scrub. <laughs> what a jobber. <laughs> he woke up that morning. God, I love my job. I can't remember my name, but my job is great. <laughs> and I love my purple jumpsuit. I, I didn't even yeah like that character was out of my mind as soon as he was yeah. down he falls out of frame and he's gone he, you know he died doing what he loved <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh well there's a couple other nor tropes in this uh, episode you know we've got Ducat as the morally gray villain i mean he's not a nice guy at all but it's no. interesting that he is trying to solve the murder without the involvement of the authorities because apparently the cardassian's way of dealing with stuff is just to kill 10 random people and the added fact is that he's trying to preserve his network of Bajoran traders, you know, but details. Yeah. Um, I, I just loved, I love that actor and like his performance. So like, yes. yeah, that was my main takeaway from this. I, his character um, is one of my favorites in the show, even though he's just like so terrible for the most of it. He starts off as a kind of ambiguous uh, character, um, you know, the Cardassians yeah. are this sort of morally flexible, but like administrative uh, species. And so he, the first couple seasons, he just kind of hangs around and he actually kind of becomes a somewhat anti-hero good guy in the middle of the show. Uh, oh, yeah. Just, you know, mild spoilers. And then, of course, he becomes just the ultimate bad guy, like by the end. So I just want to know, like, as somebody who hasn't seen the show much, Mary, like, what was your impression of Dukat? What did you think of him? Um, he was kind of a good gray area character. Like I could like the way that you're describing it, I could totally see him like helping out in one situation, but then going really dark in another. It seems like whatever benefits him, but he's also like smart enough to he's he's not too harsh with people to where he can't get like Odo to help him. Yeah, yeah. So, like, he's really, like, walking that line between doing what he needs to do to, like, accomplish, like, his goals, but not being, like, so evil that, you know, he's, like, irredeemable, at least at this point. Yeah, that's a really great read on him, because I think if I had to describe him, it would be, in one word, it would be extremely narcissistic, which is two words. Uh, (laughs) But he balances that with 
a patriotism. You know, he really cares about. Mm-hmm. That's something else that plays through the Cardassians is that they really um, care about supporting Cardassia and being a part or a cog in the machine of Cardassia. And that erodes over the course of DS9 as he feels kind of more and more betrayed or as doing his duties keeps him from getting what he wants. And then he just decides that he wants what he wants. And so we see not necessarily a good man, but a man with principles, you know, break down to become just an animal basically by the end. I like what you said about his like arc over the show, like the idea of that, because I think um, Star Trek is typically more like we want to like forgive people who have done bad things. Like we we were talking with Admiral Jameson, what Mm -hmm. was it in that Mm -hmm. one episode where we kind of were both on the page of like, no, screw this guy. Like Uh, too short a season. Yeah. Yeah. We're like, yeah, he like, this guy's like a war criminal. Like we hate him. (laughs) And his old man makeup is terrible. Yeah. Yeah. That, that didn't (laughs) help his case either. Um, But you know, so Star Trek airs on the side of like redemption and forgiveness typically. But I like, I like that the, for Ducat, it was like, you know, maybe, maybe he's not so bad, but then by the end, like you said, he's like terrible. This guy's lost. Yeah. He's I, a mad dog. Yeah, he which, needs to be put down. Like, Deep Space Nine in general just reminds me. It's like, for me, it's less utopian, maybe, but it's more of, like, a real look at how people are, I guess, you know? Like, that happens, too. You know, non-redemption, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes people don't, yeah, come around. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, there's another kind of noir aspect of this in that, the hero is, um, you know, thinks he's in control, but he's kind of being played for a patsy. You know, Ducat gasses Odo up that you know he's the best man for this job, but he's really only bringing him in, I'm assuming, because he assumes that he'll fail, which he kind of does when you think about it. Like, he is hired to find the killer, he doesn't, and then he gets the constable job anyway, <laughs> which is like, I, I, I can't think of a specific example right now, but there's like... Um, the, the plot where the hero finds out the truth. Oh, um, actually, I do have one. If you guys know the comic or the movie Watchmen. Okay, the, a little bit. The heroes in it, and if people don't know it, I don't want to spoil it, but I'll be vague. Um, the heroes sort of find out this horrible thing, but they find out that like the reality of if they if they let this secret out, it'll be even worse. And so they have to basically just internalize it mm-hmm. and just go, we're never going to tell anybody, and we'll all get... A benefit from this and we'll hate the benefit and we'll hate the fact hate ourselves for taking it but that's what we have to do and in this it's like he gets the job as the constable as a cop kind of as a reward i think like from ducat like good job you did you did what i wanted you know you didn't find the killer that's okay why don't you stick around because you seem like somebody that i can manipulate you know or might fail fail to find the next person that i don't want you to find yeah, it, it seems like that's actually what had me thinking for like two weeks is like how how like redemptive is Odo because you know him if we are making a World War Two reference with sometimes with these guys it's like is isn't Odo being like a mediator between the Bajorans and the Cardassians like kind of like being the nicest concentration camp guard in a way <laughs> sure um, he's he's a vichy uh changeling but then at the same time i was thinking well it's it's very it would be very easy for ducat to be like look you gotta do what i say or i'm gonna kill 10 bajorans you know right there's that threat hanging over it for sure yeah so i could see how it's like well i mean i i, I don't know what else to do like he's almost like it's it's not just a case of 
you know, when people say the kind of trope of, oh, they were just doing their job. It's more of like, no, I, I'm being forced to do this or more innocent people will die. And so I, I was kind of wrestling with that a little but bit. But then he didn't end up solving it and they didn't kill 10 Bajorans, right? Yeah, well, I don't think it, by that point, Ducat didn't care, <laughs> I would assume. like that's... that's another fuzzy area. But yeah, I'm, I'm assuming there wasn't some huge tragedy <laughs> after that. Yeah, well, yeah there's actually... It's I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to wreck anything for you guys, but there is a episode later on that we get another kind of flashback, and we find out that Odo, in his job as constable after this, I believe, um, does get into a situation where that kind of thing is on the line, like people possibly going to be executed if he can't like find out what the thing is. Okay. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm curious to revisit that because I don't remember the specifics, but. This constable job sounds terrible. Yeah, like under constant threat of everyone dying. Yeah, it's like he, he's like the sheriff of like the roughest town in the West. And it's the life expectancy of that kind of sheriff isn't usually very long. Yeah. You just put Velcro on the back of the of the badge and just give it to the next guy. <laughs> Luckily, he um, can shapeshift. At- so. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, outside of his role as a, a constable or a detective, um, what are what are you guys' opinion on Odo as a character? Um, both having a little bit of knowledge and having not really a, a lot of knowledge at all. Uh, well, I really liked his salty personality. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's like I know, like it's supposed to be like kind of funny, but I was like, man, he's he's pretty rude to Rom. Like it, it turned me off a bit. Like this is like the first time I've been like dipping back into deep space nine in a couple years and i was like do i is is odo a jerk like i mean he is but (laughs) is that likable but uh no i i like the uh the things we were just discussing about like the moral ambiguity almost of him like i was questioning whether i should like him a lot more watching this now than i was like five years ago when I went through and I, I, it actually made me like it more, even though I potentially thought I like Odo less, I guess. Yeah. Well, and the fact that in all these kind of blended cultures, he's like still an outsider. Right. Um, and so that really like the way that that shapes his perspective or like that he was insulted that he had to keep records because he's like, my memory is like good enough, like very much like data vibes of like trying to understand all these other people and how they're like interacting with each other, but feeling separate from that. So I feel like it gives a good perspective because obviously we don't really, I mean, sometimes there's humans, but we're not necessarily a part of any of the cultures that we're seeing. Um, So it's a good like stand in for like us. Yeah. And also like you mentioned data and data, data, I feel like fills a spot that was similar to like Spock where it's like the, the like truly other person, on the ship yeah yeah and so he's like the continuation of that but like like i was saying like data and spock are like fan favorites in their shows because they're like fun and funny whereas like odo i mean he has funny jokes and stuff sometimes but typically you're like this guy's a little he's like kind of intense and mean you know so like yeah he really he is yeah and he's i think that his upbringing has a lot to do with that um the fact that he it was basically a science experiment, you know, as he was growing up yeah. and he was put on display and there must have been a lot of feeling of just just chaos for him personally. And I think that that really contributed to his sense of justice. Like he 
has finally broken free and in his psychology he's going to show them do you know what i mean like he's going to keep the order he's going to make sure that there's justice and of course justice absolute justice is never just justice and so we see often on the show about how he has to learn to decide when it's the right time to really bring the full force of the law in or when to kind of let something let something slide yeah that was another thing i like really was thinking about in that time was like even if he i don't know actually how much like justice he was looking to serve like when he was being constable for the cardassians and maybe he was more forced into it because at the same time too it's like we know what happens when he says who he thinks is guilty uh Mm. they they get executed so he is like they don't get a real trial we see so he is like judge and jury and then the cardassians are executioners so like is that real justice is it like oh i think i found if he did find someone who who he believes did it like would they really get a fair or, shake anyway is yeah. that justice you and it's know? the truth as he perceives it so even though he's not gonna turn like kira in he's making that decision right and kind of like well who is he to decide that yeah. And is he compromised because of his friendship with Kira? Like, should he, you know, a lot of like in a post-war situation, um, like Gooey mentioned, like a lot of crimes are just looked at as, well, they were Cardassians, like, you know, or they were collaborators. Mm-hmm. Who cares? Uh, but yeah. is he compromising himself by basically once again, not actually solving <laughs> the mystery? Like he doesn't, <laughs> doesn't really tell anybody about Kira's thing. So, and as far as like him being judge, jury and executioner, um, keep watching keep watching ds9 they will definitely deal with that kind of stuff uh later on in the series um you mentioned the the spock character if you will um and i just sort of thought of something that that character always does seem to come from a um a bad childhood you know or an ambiguous background like data is literally just woke up on a rock and he's trying to remember his past and connect with his father and spock came from a, a weird and as the trek universe goes on a more complicated sort of situation as a child but he was definitely um antagonized for being you know a, a half breed being half human and half vulcan yeah and uh, even going forward to seven of seven of nine you've got a character who at a very young age you know was ripped away from her parents and was assimilated and became a monster basically and she's trying to find her way back from that so that, that that's a that's a running archetype on the show it's especially yeah with data it's like and and uh odo too but it's like when they they have a mysterious background and then when it's like you discover it it's like oh it's it's not even like something like kind of good you know <laughs> yeah. it's like oh i came from total a total mess yeah that sucks to find out <laughs> I have to give credit to uh, Renee Abergenois because he is uh, really great in this episode as Odo, as he is throughout the entire series. Yeah. And this is one of the first episodes, at least for me, where I really started to get into him as a character and not just see him as the guy who's harumping around the station and he's always trying to catch Quark. Yeah, this is, it would make sense like that this would be you know season two, season three, where like mm-hmm. a lot of characters and shows start to click. This seems like maybe this is his moment. It's it's just a really great episode. It's really well layered. And the use of flashbacks is really great because it really gives you like two mysteries for your buck. Like it's a a double kind of mystery going on. And they add a lot of depth and context to the present scenes when we get back to them. There's something that that, uh, I found kind of funny 
Um, I think this is a good touch, but again, maybe a little on the nose. But they show, uh, they do a lot of like match cuts between the flashback scenes and the real scenes to show you the difference um, that mm. five years has uh, taken on the station. And there's one part where you see two little kids like running around and, and playing in the halls. And then we flash back and there we see two other kids literally behind bars, like two sad kids just going like, <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. Bleak. That is very on the nose. Yeah. I, I The one that's that stuck out to me was like the one that was done with like laughter. Yeah. We're corks laughing. Yeah. Yeah. Corks laughing. Ducat's laughing. And then everyone's oh, it reminds like, me of some other laughter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. These are all very corny. He's like, I told you my memory's really good. <laughs> I remember every time somebody laughed. <laughs> and here they all are. Yeah, Odo actually his his um speaking of his memory and also like the is this not appropriate for a Starfleet log? Like those things about him like uh make me like not like him, but then I would think about like, well that's just how he is and like it's not really his fault. It also makes me think of like sometimes where data is like brag bragging and then he and then people call him out for it and then he's like well i didn't think i was bragging and it's like just data just move on (laughs) but i i it's like it's not his fault but scan the room yeah with your senses just feels like man it it would be a chore to be your friend (laughs) (laughs) there's also this thing with like really um depraved villains and like really noble heroes in that they like the villains have a weird fascination with that hero sometimes like they're fascinated with trying to like to see if they can break like these morally upright mm. heroes and i think that it's one of the reasons that ducat keeps him around you know we hear in other uh, episodes about how they would play chess or something or they would have these conversations and ducat's always like we had such great conversations and oda's like no we didn't like you would just talk sure. at me and i'd be like whatever and so yeah, he's just like, I, th- there's something seductive about good for evil sometimes. Yeah, it makes me think of like the like the meme almost of that you, in uh, uh, Austin Powers that they reference where they're like, why don't you just kill him, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got the show art for this show. Uh, Ducat's face on Dr. Evil going lasers or something like that. Oh, sure. Yeah, we... <laughs> We need the, the Austin Powers type send up of Deep Space Nine. I got a phaser in my quarters. I'll come back, zap, they're dead. It's the, yeah, recast with all the same actors. Get Seth Green in there. Yeah. Right. Oh my gosh. Well, as we uh, wrap up here, do you guys have any last thoughts about this episode? Well, what did you think about the end of the episode, Gooey? Well, like I said, I, I, I sort of said it already, but like I was pretty on board and like even. Kira, like, she was like, you know, I had reason not to tell you. Like, I took, I was, like, confused or, like, took a little bit issue with um, Odo being like, well, why didn't you tell me? But when yeah. I when I think back to that moment she was in in the past, like, if she did tell him then, of course, you know, it does his, do his instincts of, like, justice kick in and be like, well, she did the crime, so I'm going to get her executed. Even Even afterwards, it's like, well, I don't know if that's something... That I would ever trust with you, and it, it made me want to rewatch the show because I was like, like, do they grow this friendship and this trust to this point? Like, is it earned? You know, mm-hmm. you know, it's yeah. it's ambiguous, and I like that. But it it made me think, like, would she be so trusting of him even at this point? It, it, they kind of put a like to me a little bit of 
too much blame on her when I was like, well, I, I don't know if I would have done that either. Right, and, and he's like, well, and you could have told me any time after that, but it's kind of a weird thing to just bring up randomly. <laughs> sure, like, that's hey, it. do you remember that murder investigation you never <laughs> solved? <laughs> that was me. Yeah, yeah. So, but in like I said, I thought about it, and I, I liked where they came came to in the end. I, yeah. I, I was just like thrown off a bit at first, like, that was maybe my just like my personal feelings about it. I don't I don't think like it was meant to have like implications either way. It's supposed to be ambiguous, but I did think mm-hmm. the yeah. show itself it leaned a little bit towards to, sympathizing with Odo. Yeah, yeah, kind of like actually um, in the, with Admiral <laughs> Jameson. Like I didn't mind that they told that story. It was more of like the framing of the show itself was like mo- moralizing towards him a little bit more than. I would tend to lean to just pushing you to sympathize in a way that you resist because you're like I don't think I do sympathize with this character or this person in this situation yeah like I, I you could tell almost the exact same story I think not even change it's just like the way the show is made you know it, it's just like yeah right print, right yeah so yeah it's a little abrupt um the ending because it, it's like really the, after all the mystery and everything the real meat of like the character or the characters is what's their relationship going to be now? You know, so if this was like a movie or like a book or something, that would be the second act thing. I, you know, <laughs> who has a crinkly nose and a flat top and killed that guy five years ago? This girl. <laughs> um, I I do like that it was so abrupt though, because we've talked a lot recently in our TNG apps, except for a couple. It's like they always end in such a like traditional way and then they always got to throw a joke in there so you know it's the end <laughs> right yeah. right, and they right. Go, no engage. Triple at all. Yeah. yeah i like that this one and deep space nine does this a lot where it's like yeah no i mean there's there there's just no clear answer for this and we're not even going to try to make you feel better about it and and like it left me doing what i think it att- intended where i've been like thinking about it for weeks trying to like put it together how i feel mm-hmm. Yeah, I think on TNG, a lot of times that's the uh, effect of just, well, you know, we're done. We fixed the planet. You know, we kicked <laughs> Grappler Zorn in the ass, so we got to get out of here. And for this, you know, what I was saying about the novel uh, analogy is that just leave it because the whole show is a novel. So this is just a development, mm-hmm. and then we will see how that plays out, you know, over succeeding episodes. And as far as the Jameson thing goes, another thing that I, I don't like about Jameson is he comes – it's a weird thing to do so early in a show to bring this guy on and it becomes like the Jameson show for like the entire episode. Like the whole thing revolves around him. Yeah. It's almost like he, they're trying to spin off a show about <laughs> Jameson. Cause suddenly though, and he's not even that it's not like, it's not like a lot of times Trek will bring in like a really famous guest star and then we'll like, you know, they'll bring Sarek on like Mark Leonard as Sarek and you go, okay, sure. Let's watch a whole episode about Sarek. But suddenly it's like, guy in old face makeup and the whole thing's about him and it's super important that he you know does this treaty or whatever it is you know what maybe maybe that's thematic though because that's what was happening in the episode too he was coming in and taking over yeah they got got to the core of our emotions (laughs) (laughs) by pissing us off yeah Well, uh, let's talk My Space Dad Can Beat Up Your Various Space Dads. Who are your favorite captains and why? Mary? Oh, Oh, well, I mean, my most familiar with is Jean-Luc Picard, so he's my fave. Sure. Do you have an opinion about Sisko for the little that you see him? 
Um, he seems cool. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking, I'm sure at some point I'll get to Deep Space Nine. And I was looking forward to seeing him, uh, just his, his whole kind of serious vibe. I was into yeah. that. We got to do like some spinoffs or whatever. Yeah. Well, Cisco is, he's like maybe my favorite, but like Picard, it's like, a, maybe it's like a 1A, 1B thing for me. Okay. okay. He doesn't have a band named after him though. That's, mm. that's true. Well, he just doesn't have as catchy of it. There is the artist uh, Cisco who did the, the thong song, so maybe that's, that's maybe more. He is maybe more noteworthy than any band I've ever done. You know, I didn't yeah, write the thong. We're song. finally making that connection. <laughs> oh man! But I, I, the reason I would say one A and one B is because, like, in a lot of ways, Cisco is like almost like an anti-Picard. Mm-hmm. Like, like, yeah, it, we see it in like the the first episode of the series we should totally watch that sometimes where it's like they they have like clashing viewpoints and i think that's um i don't know that's something that's like interesting going into the show like i, I feel like that might that and the premise of the show, show would maybe turn people off initially like who's this guy and they're only on the space station like i don't know he's don't got know. a kid and yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah he he goes morally gray too more so than they ever would do with picard Mm-hmm. Not not saying that makes it better or worse. It's just different, and I like that. Uh, that yeah, that's cool. I've spent this whole time trying to think of a Cisco thing. He's got bumps like a wharf or something, but I didn't come <laughs> up with anything. So <laughs> now that we've reached the end of the show, you'll receive a commission and the rank of ensign. What departments on the ship do you both work in? Oh, oh interesting. Is there a, is there a music music department? Do we want to go there? Or? <laughs> I think there's going to have to be. Yeah, oh. we could we could start the. The are we on a ship, right? Yeah, we could do. We could yeah. be like start or the a ba- station, ship or station band. I mean, I don't want to speak for both of us, so no. Yeah, I Mary, think, what about you? I think that's where I would want to be too. Mm, this is hard to think about. We could be like, uh, do they have like a like a radio station? Well, <laughs> given my actual work history, I'd probably end up doing some kind of administrative job. Realistically, See, I think I've been I've been traditionally um, a chef or not a chef, a cook. So like that position doesn't really they exist. Don't need you. you could be a bartender. Oh, yeah, I could I could be a, a bar back for Guinan or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you started off with uh, creating a band or being in music and you guys have downgraded yourself to like <laughs> desk clerk and bar back. So well, we're keep, being, keep dreaming. We're being realistic here. <laughs> yeah, we got, we got too real. <laughs> We've actually talked about, I think we talked about this on the show, but like chefs must exist somewhere. It's just more a feature of there's like a chef boyardee, right? And so he <laughs> makes like whatever the pasta recipe is and then it gets mass produced into cans and stuff. So somebody must make the perfect, um, you know, beef Wellington, but then it gets scanned into the computer and it just comes out of the replicator like that. I think there's a Star Trek, like, spinoff cooking show that could be made. Oh, well, well it's got to be Helix. a cooking competition, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, chopped, but... Yeah. Yeah, okay. That would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Pack up your replicator. You're going home. (laughs) And as far as the admin side, hopefully, you know, the advanced computers and like near AI that they have would take care of a lot of administrative tasks. But then again, the computer was supposed to create a paperless office. So I'm just imagining like all the decks we don't see are just full of people sitting at a desk punching, you know, brightly colored buttons all day long. Yep, that'd be me. 
What a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful world. Ambitious. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ensign's Hill Mary and Gooey Fame, thanks for joining me to talk about Star Trek and the Star Trek universe. If people want to continue the conversation, and they can, at, at EIST Pod on Twitter and the Enterprising Individuals Facebook page, where can people find you online? Uh, yes, our existence is Futile Pod on Instagram. Um, you can also follow me at uh, Heal Mary on Instagram. And then I, I got Twitter down. It's uh, EIF Pod, at EIF Pod. And you can find me at Gooey Fame on Twitter. We got, and... we got Facebook stuff too, but we're not. Who cares about Facebook anymore? <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys want to uh, plug your bands at all? Oh, sure. Uh, yeah, um, just We Are Bringers. So Facebook, Bandcamp, uh, We Are Bringers. Um, Annabelle, I, it's search. An- there, actually, there's a couple of Annabelle bands, but I, I can't remember. It might be Annabelle or Annabelle Ohio, something like that. But go- Google it, I guess. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I don't know our, our tags. <laughs> um, we're actually, Bringers is finishing up an album right now. So we'll likely be doing a spring or summer tour, but nothing official yet. That's great. And people can find that on your, your Bandcamp, right? Yeah, Bandcamp or Facebook. Um, we'll probably post any kind of tour information. will be on Facebook. So yeah, just We Are Bringers on Facebook. Uh, I have uh, some other like musical and podcast things that are still in the works. But if you follow me on Twitter, you'll, you'll see them. And people should definitely check out the Pro Wrestling Required Viewing Podcast. Yes, thank you. Thanks again for joining me. Thank Thanks you for so having much. us. This is fun. We're signing off until the next mission. Hailing frequencies closed. It's on your mind.